Welcome back to Public Address Radio on Radio Live. Reviewers were touting Brother Number One as the best documentary in the New Zealand International Film Festival before the festival even opened. That might seem like a big call, given the presence of some big-name works in the programme, but it's less of a surprise if you know that Annie Goldson was the director. Her work has won awards at festivals all over the world, and she's with us now. Welcome, Annie. Thank you. Hello. Yeah, um, what is the story behind the film? I know it, but I'd rather have you explain it. Well, the actual story of the film is really it begins with the loss of Kerry Hamill, a Kiwi sailor who was doing his OE and sailing up, as one did, from Darwin up into Asia in the late 70s. And he blew off course into the arms of the Khmer Rouge, who were then running um, a kind of dictatorship, really, in Cambodia. Um, He was picked up, killed. And 30 years later now, there is a war crimes tribunal, finally. Um, Your listeners may not know, but two million Cambodians were killed during the Khmer Rouge years, just a handful of Westerners. Um, and finally, there is some form of justice occurring. Kerry's brother happens to be Rob Hamill, our sort of famous athletic rower. And um, Rob has been presenting at the court as what was called a, a victim statement, it's called as part of the legal process. So the film, in a way, follows him. It's something of a journey. Rob's family was, of course, incredibly traumatized. It took them two years to find out what had happened to Kerry. Um, so he has lived with that. He was 14 when Kerry went missing and 16 when they found out what happened. So um, so it's been a long time for Rob and a deep trauma, obviously, for his family. So we travel with him to Cambodia for the first time, which was a very compelling experience for all of us. This is the story of an innocent man brought to his knees and killed in the prime of his life. Two million Cambodians died during the regime of starvation, overwork, and execution. I see this beautiful girl in love with my brother, and he is just looking real chuffed with himself. Well, we called it the hippie trail in those days. The boss of tool slaying, Comrade Doik, will be the first to go on trial. I've been invited to give what is called a victim statement at the War Crimes Tribunal. I walked in and here he is, the man who killed my brother. This isn't your first film that explores the theme of, of reckoning and reconciliation. Mm. Um, you did it with Punitive Damage, which told quite a similar story of a family member's search for justice in East, East Timor. Uh, an island story was about Owen Scott's uh, search for justice and the, the murder of his brother. What, what appeals to you about these stories? I mean, I seem to specialise in dead people in hot, difficult countries. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I have always been interested in human rights issues and politics and history. I'm interested in the region. You know, I'm also, I I am interested in where Kiwis turn up and how we turn up in certain places. Um, The cynic could say, well, that's a way of getting New Zealand on air money if you can make enough of a New Zealand connection. But genuinely, it seems to be the sorts of films I'm drawn to. Once you've made one, maybe it becomes a bit of a sort of sub-genre you're associated with, I'm not sure. But they all are, of course, very different when you really um, work on them. Um, with, with this one, you, you've, I think you've used the personal story as a way of explore, exploring the, bro- the broader history. Mm-hmm, that's you? right. I mean, I'm always, I think history is incredibly important. And to me, there were two challenges in this film. One is that literally it was a handful of Westerners who die in a country where two million people, you know, are just gripped by this terrible regime. And it's all to do with the kind of ugly post-Cold War, post-Vietnam kind of era 
very similar to Timor in that way, actually. Um, but, you know, how to balance, in a sense, the Western story with the broader story was one of the challenges. The other, I guess, is dealing with history because the Khmer Rouge didn't come out of a vacuum. They came out of a context, and it's a context in a way we all contributed to one way or the other. And so I thought that, that was, that's always really important. Although dealing with history is quite difficult, you know, unless it's wall-to-wall narration, history channel stuff. It is quite hard to get the kind of complexity of history across. Because you have personalities on both sides. It's not just Rob Hamill, isn't it? There's, um, what like, I decided to do is, I, I don't know if you had a chance to see it. We've got a pretty hot trailer at Brother1.com. I read the website and saw the trailer. <laughs> 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 to try and resolve that issue, I mean, there's this cliche that every Cambodian has a story, and it's really true. I mean, and what I decided to do to try and deal with the kind of problem of Eurocentrism, I suppose, was to... Um, to make characters out of the people we naturally were working with on the film, so translators and line producers, and one in particular, Kula Kosoto, who's a remarkable woman. She, in a sense, her story begins to parallel Rob's own through the duration of the film. So that's sort of how I tried to kind of really address that issue. But yes, there are some remarkable people in the film. And, and working along the idea of it's not just the reckoning of a, a person from a, another country trying to understand uh, what has been a closed society, that society itself, it's the first time that they've looked back and actually tried to have this reckoning. So that must have been a, a phenomenal parallel. It is. And, you know, there's ambivalence about the court. You know, it's complex. You know, there's arguments that it's very corrupt. There's arguments there's a lot of political interference. It's been, you know, if you compare it, for example, to Nuremberg, it's been a long time coming. The country is poor. You know, whether the resources should go into the court. When you look at the former Khmer Rouge that are now on trial, they look like a bunch of elderly people, which they are. But, you know, the empathy you have for the aged, etc., it's hard to remember that these people are monsters sometimes. That's complicated also by, um, and it's something that I didn't realise would happen, and it was something a bit like an island calling too, is that religion becomes something of a debate in the film because, of course, Cambodia is Buddhist. Comrade Doik, who, who Rob, that was on trial when Rob presented, converted to Christianity. A lot of the former Khmer Rouge did convert to Christianity. Cynics would say so they can ask for forgiveness because with Buddhists, of course, you can't ask for forgiveness. You just you know, get what's coming to you in the next life round, etc. So there is this kind of interesting debate. And I think for some people in, in Cambodia, the Buddhist thing is to leave the past alone. And, you know, in a sense, evil will be recompensed or not recompensed, whatever evil is challenged in the next life. So there's, there's sort of, there is a mixed response. Although I do have to say, the Cambodians we worked in, and sometimes they were rural and sometimes they were urban intellectuals, they were very engaged in the court and increasingly as people found out about it, there was a much more of a level of engagement. I guess there was the same, uh, the same questions of what is justice and how does one exact it so far after the event, both for Rob uh, but also for Cambodian people, who are the, right. perhaps the children right. or the grandchildren yeah. of victims. But you do see how trauma passes down though. You know, as well as Kulika, who was only two when her parents, her father was a pilot who was killed and they were sort of frog-marched out of Phnom Penh. But another very moving translator called Vesne. It was so interesting, this process of translation, because everything is sort of triangulated. And he got just incredibly upset at Rob's story, you know, and because he was recalling his father's death. And again, he would have been one or two. But you just see how this sort of trauma passes down, um... So it's um it was a very moving experience. What well, what did you end up thinking about those years? Because for, from outside it just seems unfathomable bloodletting. 
two million people mm-hmm. killed. What, what was it about? And, and to go from the uh, the people in power through to people with university degrees, through to people who finished high school, through to everyone who had glasses mm-hmm. as your catchment mm-hmm. areas mm-hmm. for killing people, it's, it's almost ridiculous, isn't it? I know, I know. It is almost incomprehensible. And of course, the history is still contested. And that's one of the problems of, you know, writing about history. It's always something of an argument anyway. But I mean, I think the context without the Vietnam War, there wouldn't have been a Cambodia. And my, you know, I I did interview some really great historians, a woman called Elizabeth Becker, who was one of those sort of really cool female reporters from the 70s. She was working for the Washington Post, and she stayed as long as she could. And so I talked, I interviewed her and Sopal Ear, who is a historian, a Cambodian historian, who managed to escape the Khmer Rouge. He's quite young too. So talking to them, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I think the Vietnam War was absolutely significant. Some on the left, and I think it's quite interesting to me that Democratic Kampuchea was a crisis for the left, really, who couldn't bear to agree with Kissinger know that these communists were incredibly evil people and of course that's a very simplistic analysis because Kissinger and the bombing could be said to have encouraged the rise of the Khmer Rouge but there was a whole lot of coups and you know North Vietnamese Vietnamese involvement China was in there the US was on the other side when the West should have intervened there was no appetite for it you know the US had just pulled out of Vietnam it was 75 there was no way the world was going to sanction the US going in again to the country next door but people knew, I think, what was going to happen. Was this a difficult film to get funded? Because um, if you look at the end of the trailer, there's a lot of logos there. There's the Film Commission, NZ On Air, mm. TV3, mm. quite a few more. Did you had, It looks like you had to go to quite a few places to, to get the funding for it. Actually, it wasn't, to be honest, it wasn't that hard. I mean, it was a reasonably expensive film because it did involve a lot of travel and travelling a lot of people. You know, wherever the UN is in town, prices shoot up. And we did shoot it quite high format, so post-production, and we shot, I used a wonderful DOP, a guy called Peter Gilbert, who's a friend from Chicago. He made a documentary called Hoop Dreams, mm, you might remember. A very yeah. well-known documentary. And yeah. he was fantastic to work with, but he's got that terrible American, oh, tape stock's cheap, just like shoot more and more and more, and you know, who's digitizing, who's transcribing, who's editing. So it was a long edit, and I really appreciate the support of TV3, who were first in, and of course New Zealand on there, and the Film Commission. And I have to say the university, my em- employers, who have always been generous and recognised what I do as research, so that's really helped too. Well, congratulations, and just finally, it's in the New Zealand Film Festival. Um, mm-hmm. I'm guessing that it's going to be in quite a few more film festivals in the next year. Well, let's, hoping, let's hope so. I mean, it is in Melbourne, which is coming up very shortly as well, and there are a couple of other international festivals that it has got into, but I can't say anything yet. Well, best of luck with it. Thank you, Annie Goldson. Thank you. Thanks. The more I hear about some of the things that happened, the more understanding of what took place there. And I want to forgive, but the harder it will be to forgive. Sometimes I feel a real hatred towards me. Be sure to pick up a New Zealand Film Festival guide to check out Annie's film and all the other great films there. Still to come on the show, we talk to Jane Hortonybrook about Creative Commons and Miriam Clancy about her upcoming tour.